Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Little known fact about my guest today, we met in our early days in New York City at the Circle Rep Lab Theater Company, and then together we both became members of Naked Angels Theater Company, and if anyone had asked me all those years ago if today's guest would become one of the most important directors of our generation and one of the most beautiful actors to walk on stage or our screens, I would have looked at you and said 100% yes. Welcome, Joe Mantello, to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is the Tony Award-winning director and actor, Joe Mantello. Joe has directed over 30 Broadway productions. Some of those titles include Grey House, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Three Tall Women, The Boys in the Band, The Humans, The Last Ship, Nine to Five, Three Days of Rain, Wicked, Assassins, Take Me Out, and Love, Valor, and Compassion. His off-Broadway production of Sondheim's last musical, Here We Are, is currently in production at The Shed. As an actor, he starred on Broadway in The Glass Menagerie, The Normal Heart, and Angels in America. He is a member of the Ryan Murphy universe and appears in the American Horror Story, The Normal Heart, and most recently in the second season of Feud, which is called Capote versus the Swans. Um, hi, Joe Mantello. Hi. <laughs> hi, it's so crazy doing this with people, I know. Um, so I want to just say that... Um, I'm a fan of you as a human, and I'm a fan of you as an artist, and I want to just go back in time a little bit because I know in your little town growing up, I have come across Linda Wallum and the great Marin Macy and Bob Greenblatt and Jody Benson. All of you started out in this town together, which is crazy. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Rockford, Illinois. Um, Yeah. it's it, I, I we still I, we're all still in touch or most of us are still in touch and we all still are sort of uh baffled by how it happened other than the fact that you know there was just a lot of theater 
in our town, professional, semi-professional, community theater, high school theater. Our high school theater had like the highest standards possible to do these shows. They were, you know, kind of, you know, well, basically ripoffs of the Broadway production. And uh, so we just went from show to show to show to show. And uh, it really shaped so many of us and our sensibilities and our sense of professionalism and how to work and feel really fortunate about that. And then you went to college with Mary Louise Parker and K. Todd Freeman and Peter Hedges. And I remember you guys having like a theater company that you started in New York when you first came here. Is that, am I having all, is that right? Yeah. I just want to say, so can I go back yes. and say something about Bob, which is yeah. the interesting thing about Bob, you know, and, and no matter how far he's gone in this business, he's gone about as far as you can go. He is still the same person that was stage managing our shows at Boylan Central Catholic High School. I mean, he, he had that sense of organization, decency, calm. I mean, and it's obviously played out on a bigger canvas now but he's he he has not changed i think of all of us he's the one that that has changed the least so, do you okay. feel like how do you feel like you've changed i do think that i've changed uh yes i think that uh just going from being having a different skill set of going from being an actor to a director for a director for so long that you you develop different kinds of uh muscles and uh perspectives and and, and how you approach the work obviously um so i do think i've changed but bob always had producer inside of him right um and he he recently found uh, our first trip to New York, a group of us went together and he recently found a memo that he sent to all of us. And it was so organized, it broke down the plane fare. And I think this is no lie. So I think the whole package was like $432, right? Okay. That included plane fare, hotel, and three Broadway shows. And if you added on an extra Broadway show, it was 20 or 21 if you wanted to see Sweeney Todd. Right. That's what it was. And so he found this thing and it was like, there it is. There's Bob. That's who he, you know, and it was really, it was so amazing to see that and remember like, oh yeah, that's, that's always who you were. But also for you to have, for all of us, like the great fortune to have these longstanding friendships and people who have known us since we are kids, um, to have those touch, like touchstones in our lives. It's such an extraordinary thing. I mean, there are a lot of you that came up together who ended up being like really successful in this business. Um and I wonder if having each other in some part is what allowed you to stay in it, even when it was hard. Um, is there any connection to that that you can think of? I think so, and 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 um, you know, you know, I think maybe you'll you you'll feel the same way that the 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 time that we were coming up in New York. There was an ability at Circle Rep in the lab and mm -hmm. at Naked Angels. There were these spaces where you could just develop 
you know, I mean, so few people, I mean, there are geniuses that are just born and who they are, but so few people kind of just emerge uh, and arrive on the scene fully formed. And so to have a place like Circle Rep that was committed to us as artists and you know, I've often said like that may that made all the difference to me because a it gave me a home and b it it there was a commitment to me that was like they were playing the long game with me right so I certainly had things that did not do well and I wasn't chucked out because of it I was they were like dust yourself off and do it again. And I think there was something about New York at that time where those spaces like Naked Angels, I mean, you couldn't afford that space now, right? You know, that's the incredible space that we had. Right. I mean, in some ways we probably couldn't afford it then, but Jack's uncle let yeah. us have that warehouse. So that, I mean, that's where luck comes into all sorts of things. Like we had that space because someone's uncle gave it to us. Right. right. And when he took it away, that theater no ceased to exist. Like it really was a real estate that that kind of allowed us to be there. So when I Which think of you, kind of storm around it now with social media and certainly with the the, the 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 people that were members of the company, um, and there was a lot of buzz around it at the time. But I, I just I can't help but think that it would just be um, a different kind of frenzy around it now. Well, that's for sure. Um, I mean, I think dealing with social media, which none of us had to deal with on any level. I mean, I, I remember when like early on in my Broadway career, like chat rooms started, which I had no understanding of or access to. But I know there was like a place for people to be catty about <laughs> things, um, but it didn't sort of influence how you did your work. It certainly didn't influence producers in terms terms of what they were suddenly coming into the room with and saying, you know, it's word on the street already is act two is too long. Like we were yeah. making the thing on our own yeah. Um, yeah. and, yeah. and dealing with the New York times and dealing with the New York times. I mean, that was sort of it. We still are dealing with the New York times, but on a different kind, a different way now, I think. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I remember all of us coming out and doing plays in these various theater companies you mentioned and being thrilled at an episode or two of Law and Order, right? That was such a big deal. Um, and having different day jobs or night jobs in order to support yourself while you did the thing you love. And then all of a sudden, I remember seeing Angels in America and all these people I love who I would see in audition rooms um, and who would become my friends through these various theater companies are all in this George C. Wolf production of Tony Kushner's Angels in America. And none of us have been the same since. Those of us who got to see it, those of us who got to love the people who were in it and, and support them while they carried this on their backs. And it changed the life, I think, of all of the people in it. How did you get into that show? Well, I mean, it, 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 there's a tie-in to um, to uh, Circle Rep. Um, uh, do you remember an actor named Michael Ornstein? I think he changed his last name. So Michael was my boyfriend. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. 
<laughs> and I'm not telling him. No. Uh, uh, it was Maurice at some point. He changed it to his mother's maiden name, but I think he's back to Michael Ornstein. Oh, good. And he's a painter now. I, I yes, so. yes, yes. Uh, you know, he was he was such a great actor. But uh, anyway, um, so Michael and I, uh, we knew each other from the lab and uh, he had done the production of um, Angels in San Francisco and I believe was told at a certain point that they were not going to go forward with him. And Michael being a complete and total mensch, uh, in that moment, or subsequently said, you should check out Joe Mantello. And um, uh, and I happened to be in a play at Circle on the main stage at the time, though I don't recall what it was, maybe Baltimore Waltz, maybe. And Kushner came to see it. And so, I mean, I had to go through a, an audition process, but Michael really was the one through that in this magnanimous and incredibly uh, generous gesture who sort of pointed towards me. Um, uh, and then, like I said, Kushner saw it and then I auditioned several times and then they kept looking and kept looking. And then finally they came back to me and I did it in, uh, I did it in LA first. When the first, the first time both parts were put together. Was in LA. Mm -hmm. And then you guys came to New York. Can you, um, you know, obviously now in hindsight, we understand sort of, I mean, it's heady to try to wrap your brain around like what that play is, what those plays are um, and what they mean to people, what it opened up for future writers to, to go and be brave enough to write as well um, about lives in such a raw way. What do you remember about putting that play together and George C. Wolfe, for those of us who have not worked with him, are very intimidated by him. Um, what is he like as a director? Um, and where does the warmth that I know exudes from him and passion along with his intimidating presence, how do all those things come together in a room to guide and shepherd you? You know, um, I guess the first part, uh, 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 to answer the first part of your question, you know, when I read the play, and I actually think that Michael lent me his script, scripts, both of them. And I remember thinking that this was a masterpiece. And so, but then when you're actually having to... Um, dissect the masterpiece and you show up and it's, you know, it's your job day to day. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a different experience because you're just, there's a kind of a practicality that comes into play. I was also one of uh, three or four new people that had come into a company that had been, the, either the parts were written for them or they'd done other productions. And so it was this kind of, um, uh, uh, Frankenstein of actors, you know, put they were putting us all together. So I was just kind of trying to keep up with everybody. Um, and we had different directors at the time. We did it in Los Angeles. To answer your question about George, he is truly, uh, he's the most inspiring, the smartest, the savviest, 
the he instills you with he, this sense of confidence that you feel impenetrable and he he and 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 he's like a good what i imagine a good general is at war like he endows you with the belief in yourself and the belief in the company and in the belief in the peace and the belief of the thing that you've made so that you can just uh, go out there and try to tackle this thing. And he did a very good job of protecting us from the noise outside the world. And again, just to go back to it, it was such a different time. So though we knew of the significance of the uh, of the thing, it didn't have that same level of just noise around it. But he's the greatest. I mean, I, 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 I've stolen so much of how I direct from him. Um, he's he's uh, I would work for him in a second as an actor. He's just he's he's the best. He's the best. Can I ask you because but I people... think he's intimidating. Just to say, I think yeah. he's intimidating because he's so smart about the play. You know, right? When we did, he directed me in in uh, the Normal Heart, and John Hickey, our friend John Hickey, and I were just talking about this the other day, and he said this one thing, and the whole play came into focus for all of us. And he said, the thing about this play is, the thing about this world is, there is an invisible monster out there. This is a horror film. And there's an invisible monster that is murdering, destroying all of your friends. And you can't see it. And the only thing you have as a weapon are words. And if you speak fast enough, passionately enough, with enough anger, with enough to 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 try to use your powers of persuasion to keep it away or to protect people. So the play, which is, you know, it's one of my favorite plays, but it's really difficult. There's lots of facts and figures and names and lists. And, you know, when you're an actor inside of it, you're like, how, how do I do it? But just that, that it's not so simple note, but, uh, but, but this note, this overall note, which is keep the monster away keep the monster away, use data, use your words. And it just it fueled this kind of intense, passionate um, uh, commitment to the text. And also lets all of you know what page you're on, right? Like it gives you all a context and then you can all do it however you, whatever it means to you. You're, when people say, you know, my first great director was Robert Altman. And so I know what it means to work with someone who's like, I cast you, so nothing you can do is wrong. Like, that was Bob's thing. Wow. And often, you know, he was like, your lines are probably going to be better than, you know, those poor writers. Like, he he really wasn't the most traditional in terms of respecting writers and their yeah. text. But, but I, so my experience, what I wow. know of that, sorry, my dog, is someone saying like, you don't have to do anything. Like I cast you because there's a seamlessness in my mind between this character and you. Um, and it was a very casual environment always in the two series I did with him and a lot of fun. Um, and there are other directors I worked with who were much scarier, um, but also gave me a sense that I was the right person for the part. But when you say 
like like having permission to make mistakes there are ways in which a lot of directors create a room where you just feel fearless about falling on your face and I know that you've worked, so one of my most incredibly favorite, this is a great segue for a moment, but Laurie Metcalf is my hero. Um, seeing you're wearing a Steppenwolf sweatshirt right now, like Bomb and Gilead is one of the first plays I've ever seen. Um, it made me want to at least try to be on stage with great people, never imagining myself close to any of them in terms of their talents. It would have been I, I couldn't have imagined, right? And so then in our lifetimes to work with some of these people, like our heroes, it's an incredible thing. Um, in my understanding of her and being around her a little bit, she's a very fearless person in a rehearsal room. Um, and I know you've worked with her a lot. And so she just popped in my mind as I saw your sweatshirt and we're talking about um, permission. How does... Tell me about Lori and working with her because you've worked with her repeatedly. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, <clears throat> you've said it, like to see Balm and Gilead, which I saw shortly after moving to New York, it just um, reframed how I thought of things. And did you feel the same way? I mean, to see that company. I had never seen anything like that. I, I, you know, maybe I, it was like watching a documentary with on, on a stage. That's where I met Michael. We both loved that show so much that we ushered at the Minetta Lane Theater huh? to see it over and over again because we, you know, that's how you could afford to do it. And that's where I met him, actually. Oh, wow. That's as amazing. it turns out. Yeah. But anyway, yes. So I, saw it, I saw it like three times and I had just come out of drama school and, you know, it was sort of like I felt a little straightjacketed by... Um, you know the kind of a kind of formal training. I'm, I was grateful for the training, and and I loved my time at North Carolina School of the Arts. But um, the 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 fashion of the times, I think, was training actors for the regional theater movement, so that you were incredibly flexible, could do a lot of different kinds of things. But it wasn't really about um, uh, developing that sense of yourself that is whatever unique thing that you or I bring to the stage, that was kind of secondary or it wasn't even really talked about um, as much as it was just the ability to be incredibly flexible. So here I was watching all of these actors who were so idiosyncratic, who were you know like nothing you'd ever seen, who were the opposite of conventional, right? You know, like they were doing things that were just mind-blowing to me. And I kept going back. And Laurie in particular um, really just blew my mind. And it was just on the bucket list of like, someday be in a room with her, someday work with her. And it took a long time and God knows I tried. And we finally, we finally made it happen. And it was just like, you know, we're simpatico in a way. In, in terms of the way that we work, our sense of humor. Um, you know, she's got a kind of Midwestern practicality. She doesn't lead with, you know, some actors, and this is totally fine, they lead with their process and their process um, sort of uh, infiltrates the room in some way because they ask for it and they need it and and, and that's important Lori doesn't do any of that 
She shows up prepared. She, you know, she, <clears throat> she knows the script. She's made choices. She never rehearses, you know, at anything other than a hundred percent. And, but within that, she can drop out of a scene or she'll do something. Or I think the thing that we like about working with each other is we are constantly throwing things back and forth, but the things that we throw back and forth are to make each other laugh. So I'll say like, try this and she'll do it. And we will just, we'll just start laughing. So <laughs> it's, it's this kind of, I mean, it's not even professional, but it is like, there's a great deal of joy in it because it's like the challenge is how can you, how can I give you something that's going to make me laugh? Regardless of whether the piece is incredibly serious or a comedy, doesn't no, matter. I, we did this play, uh, uh, um, the other place where she played a woman <clears throat> who had Alzheimer's, but you don't really know it. And in the second act, it, you know, she's sort of in the throes of it. And she comes to this cabin or this house and it's, that's not her. She wanders into it. And the, the woman who lives there has a purse and then the purse was on the floor. And I said to her, while she's talking, just go through her purse and see what you can find. <laughs> and so she's like, okay. So we're doing the scene and she kind of, she's a savant. So she picks up the purse, she opens the wallet, she's listening and she's kind of goes through the money and the credit card and she just puts it like that. And But then she drops out and she's like in the throes of dementia. She starts laughing so hard. We have that moment and then she goes right back into it. But it's like that. It's like throwing down challenges that that will, you know, that will if, that, for our own entertainment. So I remember seeing, you know, like I said, I, I saw you acting and I saw you directing in the early days. And then I saw Love, Valor and Compassion, this Terrence McNally play. And that is when I realized not only are you like an actor whisperer in terms of that was an ensemble of actors, all of whom were the most fully realized versions of those characters, like beautiful casting, beautiful writing. And then the third element that blew my mind and makes so much sense to me now is the aesthetic of that set. Like the Joe Mantello aesthetic. If anyone is lucky to get to a house that Joe lives in, um, you have, as do many of your friends, like an incredible design aesthetic and somehow like the beauty that create you create in your homes, um, you've been able to create with different designers over and over again, these like breath. I mean, here we are. I just walked in and it was like immediately I knew I was in a Joe Mantello world, although it looked nothing like any pre previous Joe Mantello world I'd seen, and it's always breathtaking. So talk to me about early, um, I don't know if you grew up like flipping through Architectural Digest and where, like if you were always interested in artists and painters and furniture and mid-century and all of that, um, and, you know, framing our first Tommy Slaughters, like all of these kind of touchstones where you're like, I learned about art and this person but understanding design, which is a whole other thing. Um, well, who designed Love, Valor, and Compassion? 
a lawyer sent us. Okay, who you still work with to this day. I haven't worked with Loy in a long time. In fact, I was just talking to a mutual friend. I haven't seen him in a very, very long time. So we did work together for a, 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 a you For know, many years, many years ago. Okay. I would work so, with him again. Well, beautiful aesthetic. And, and obviously you have developed a vocabulary to communicate what you see in your head, as well as taking in their ideas and, and seeing where that collaboration can happen. Is that a favorite part of the process for you? Yeah, it really is. And, and thank you for saying all that. That's, that's, that's very um, nice of you. Uh, you know, just to go back to love, valor, compassion, um, you know, there was a director that had been working on developing it with Terrence and they, they had a parting of the ways was not, uh, there was nothing uh, acrimonious about it. It was just, they, they just, they'd gone as far as they could go. Uh, uh, and so they were looking around for directors and, and I had done very, very little at the time, just mostly, you know, when we would do shows at, um, at the lab in that little lab space, what were we given? Like, I feel like I, it was like, we were given like $150 to do everything. Yeah. And you could use how that $150, however you want. Yeah. But that was and, such a great little black box theater. It was amazing. a great place. Yeah. So that was my sensibility. So when, <clears throat> if you remember in the play, it goes from location to location and there's out on a raft and they're in the water and they're in a lake and they're in a country house and they're in a car and had all these locations. And I remember I had a meeting with Terrence and uh, I just talked about it in a way that was very, very practical because I had never, I didn't have access to a budget before. Right. So the thought of doing all of these things and going to all of these locations didn't, I was so naive that it didn't intimidate me because I never had anything. Yeah. So I just thought like, well, we'll just, you know, we'll just make it work. And I think, you know, he said to me later on, he was like, your, your, sort of confidence in the simplicity of it was what made me choose you to be the director even though and that was the amazing thing about Terrence is that he you know he really just it was all instinct with him I'm certain that they met with directors whose resumes were right impressive um but he um but he gave me, he took a chance on me. And, um, you know, now I think, you know, I think of some of those things that we did at Naked Angels or that I did in the Circle Lab. And I think like, oh, I would never be brave enough to do it now because I have too much information. So mm -hmm. the purity of, of whatever we had then is now, uh, there's experience mixed in with it, but there's also, it's tainted in a way because, I think I was much bolder then. Right. Well, it was beautiful. And it, I mean, I feel like that production, I mean, what, did you like get an agent early on as a, I'm trying to think like, I knew you as an actor, then you're starting to direct small things. Circle Rep was such a big deal at the time, but it was um, still like a cozy place to work. Yeah. Did you get a directing agent? I did. I was with a, uh, there was a, a man named Bill Craver 
who was my first uh, directing agent. And he, and I was with Writers and Artists Agency at the time. Uh, they represented me as an actor. And he showed up one day to see a play of Peter's that I directed called Imagining Brad. And he called me up and asked me to come in for a meeting. And he said, well, I'd like to represent you as a director. And I remember saying to him, I'm being absolutely baffled and saying, well, what would you do? I mean, what? How does that work? Right. What, that, what does that even mean? Like, it never even occurred to me that a director would have an agent. And, you know, we worked together for, for many, many years. And uh, again, he was really instrumental in, in, you know, helping me find my way and, got, you know, got me my first regional job directing and, um you know, he was, it was great, but I, but I had absolutely no clue. Right. Right. That that was a component in it. So Terrence for so many was just this angel person. I mean, he's such a, it's such a loss not having him alive on the planet. Um, but his work, his breathtaking work is just, uh, everywhere. Um, I have to ask you about it because you know, I did your Good Man Charlie Brown with Kristen Chenoweth, and then she told me about this, like, reading workshop she was doing. Stephen Schwartz had written this song, and and she was going to go off and, and uh, play The Good Witch based mm -hmm. on that book we'd all been reading, actually, at the time. Um, and that, like, I'm doing this thing, turned into this thing that has been um, 20 years on Broadway, um, also probably just not only did it change your life because you directed a big Broadway musical, I'm sure financially it just has changed your life beyond your wildest dreams. That That is, you know, lightning in a bottle happens once every hundred years like that. So um, what, how, how did you end up, it, I'm trying to remember the order of things. Was that your first Broadway musical or had yeah. you done... Um, assassins before that i was i was it was God, i'm trying to remember uh i did i think it was i was i was we were doing assassins at roundabout that was going to be the first musical that i did right. Because I wanted to, I felt I'd gone as far as I could go with developing new plays, um, you know, just sort of developing that muscle. Uh, and I wanted to challenge myself. And so I thought Assassins would be a good transitional musical because it's very much like a play. Yeah. The original production and loved it. And oh my God, in your production, Joe, it was so, oh my God, so fantastic. And so we were going to, we were supposed to do it and we were going into, um, <clears throat> final auditions uh on september 11th and uh, of assassins yeah. okay oh my god and so obviously because there's a character in assassins that they wrote sam bick who's going to fly who wants to fly a 747 into the white house and uh you know it was so traumatic what happened in New York, not only in New York, but what 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 we were feeling, what everyone was feeling at the time that we just thought, you know, the the first time this this musical was done, the Gulf War broke out. And so it always existed within this context. That, uh, um, and so we decided to just 
put it up to the side. And I remember Todd saying, we'll do it, we'll do it. And I thought, oh, well, we're never going to do this. And then about a year and a half later, he called and he said, I think we should do it. Um, and in the interim, the design completely changed. Um, and Robert Brill designed that set brilliantly. And uh, we had we kept some cast members that we cast originally, some weren't available. Um, and so we kind of started over. And uh, so, uh, and, and at the same time, I was, I'd been, I'd started with uh, uh, Wicked around the same time. So they were kind of happening simultaneously. What do you want to say in, in, in this moment that we're talking about that show? Because this is not a Wicked um memorial episode um what do you want to say about that what does it mean to you well let's see what do I want to say I you know I've never had and I will never have the experience of continually encountering work that I made as a younger director hmm. so when I see it I see, I don't want to use the word mistakes, but I see the, I see a younger director who is learning how to, and some of it is, you know, I, I mean, in some way, like if it came to me now, I would be like, no, it's too big. I can't do it. But I was so <laughs> naive at the time and had no frame of reference for, how gargantuan the thing was that I was like, yeah, I'll do it, you know, and, and probably a little arrogant as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I see the thing now <clears throat> and there, there are times uh, that our friend Lisa Legria will tell you that I always look down because I get embarrassed. And there are times where I'm very proud of some solution that we came up with. Yeah. And, but it's kind of frozen in time as a as a piece of work and you know that's i mean i'm incredibly proud of it i'm i'm mostly here's what i'm most proud of aside you know set aside the work or the show itself it really is the 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 portal for a lot of young people to experience theater and to decide it's something that they want to do. Like we're at the point now where we get Alphabas and Glindas and they say, you know, I saw it when I was, you know, eight years old or nine years old. And, you know, and I thought I'm going to play, I want to play Glinda. I want to do that. And then it happens. Right. That is that the legacy of that is much more important to me and the thing that I'm most proud of than the, than the show itself where I have complicated feelings about the show. Um, but I'm, 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 you know, we really, be, because I feel like we are so fortunate and we've been given a gift. And, and I said to the team of people who really do the work of maintaining the show, I was like, we are never going to coast. We're going to do our best to make it feel like people who are seeing it 20 years in are seeing something that's, you know, as close as we can get to the excitement of what it was like in that first year with Kristen and Adina, that I never, ever, ever wanted to take this incredible gift for granted because of the fact that there are kids who are seeing it there, 
you know, and, and we go all over the country and in other countries and they're seeing it and it's they it's their like it's their gateway drug into doing this. So I want to What was yours? What was your gateway drug? I think it was um my there was the high school that I ended up going to that Bob and I went to and Jody went to. Uh, they always did really good musicals. And I remember going to see uh, Mame. And uh, and I just had never seen anything like it. It wasn't even the, the musical part of it. And I and I remember um, like the ensemble in the, the plantation scene or some scene. And they were all, and I remember seeing like groups of people, you know, when you're when you're off to the sides in the ensemble and you're having you're having fake conversations. And I was really like, what's that? What's going on there? And it really was like so intriguing to me that I wanted to know more about like life on stage and that kind of behavior. More so than, you know, the, the, the big the big the name the name of it <laughs> it was like what are those people talking about yeah um so yeah how do you handle do you have anxiety do you get anxiety i do i do i mean you know what do you mean by that exactly well you are kind of every time you walk into a theater and now it must feel like a day at the spa acting to a certain extent. Maybe not. I'll ask you about that. But you're in charge of a lot less when you now get to enter someone else's show and just fulfill your character's job. But you're like a CEO of a company every time you come in, like you're in charge of a lot of things. And I wonder... Like, do you have rituals? You know, as an actor backstage, we have all the stupid things we do before every show that if we like don't touch the Buddha on our dressing room yeah. table, we're like, oh my God, it's going to be a terrible show. Um, like, how do you, do you have rituals or things that you use as a director the way you might as an actor to quell the voices that no matter where we are in our life, we're not always sure we're as good as everybody thinks we are. Um, or maybe you've come to a point where you don't care, which would be a great thing, except you're there to tell the story that you're all there collectively to, to tell. Yeah. Maybe you're at that point now. Wait, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, um, um, believe it or not, I'm, I'm incredibly shy, you know, mm -hmm. still, I'm, I'm an incredibly shy person, which I think sometimes comes off as, um reserved or chilly or I don't know how it is or intimidating but yeah. really shyness and so the the thing that frightens me most or that I don't like is the first day of rehearsal because I've been in first days of rehearsal with with George Wolf and my friend you know and I know my friend Jack O'Brien is great at this yeah that, that ability to kind of come in, give a speech that inspires and galvanizes the company and is so articulate about, you know, the roadmap. I don't know how to do that to this day. Mm -hmm. I, I, I dread it. I've tried it a few times. It's so eggy. It's so <laughs> embarrassing. So I sort of just. So you get through that. You I just get through it. Yeah. As fast as possible. <laughs> like I just say, we're going to read it and we're going to go home and then, um, see you tomorrow. 
see you tomorrow. And, you know, and then I'm okay. Then yeah. I, I get my sea legs because it's about, it's about the work. Um, so that's the, that's really the moment where I feel like the spotlight is on me to articulate the, 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 the road we're going to go down. And I think I, what I do is I've given myself a break, which is that I, if I've chosen wisely, then we are going to, as a company of people, we're going to make it. And there are some things that I know, or I, I think I know, but there's also the contributions from every other person in the, working on the project that will take us another direction. And so I think sometimes it feels like I don't want to, I don't want to um, be too um, uh, dis not decisive, but to, I, I, I don't want to, I don't know, I, maybe it's just a failure in, in, in me that I, that I don't have that skill, but I, I also just accept it at this point and, 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 you know, I'm confident that we'll get there. And, and I think one of the things that's always, um, that I think has saved me as a director, particularly as a young director, uh, <clears throat> is that I've never been afraid to say, I don't know, mm -hmm. which I think is the major mistake, uh, you know, a beginning director can do is to feel like you have to have the answers. And I think actors are so smart and they can they can smell fraud faster than anything. And you can tell when someone is saying they have the answer and they don't. Right. And I felt like to go like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think we all need to think about it. I think we need to sleep on it and let's come back tomorrow. I feel confident that we're going to find an answer. Mm -hmm. We just don't have it now. And I think in some way, most, though not all, actors respond to that because they're not being duped mm -hmm. you know they like they're like oh this guy's telling the truth and I think the actors that I've felt the most connected to appreciate my candor and the ones who don't who need something else you know that that's that's all that's that can be a tricky collaboration right well you have collaborated a lot with a lot of the same people. Um, so obviously you have found many beautiful artists who speak your language and who can handle it, who can handle whatever it is, like your way of doing yeah. it. Um, and I want it back, by the way. Yeah. I want well, when you describe the Lori thing, it's like you want to, you want to be in collaboration. Yeah. And I don't want, and I don't mind somebody saying to me, yeah, I sort of hear you. That doesn't really help. Can you, you know, like, I think that's like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me find another, let me try to, like, I don't mind. I like being challenged. Right, right. You can take it. It's okay. Yeah. You want to be in that. Um, all right. So I've, I've touched on like all the Ryan Murphy of it all. Um, when Dennis O'Hare was on the podcast, he actually was like, you guys were working together when you mentioned here we are to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what an incredible thing very recently to be at the shed and see that production um, and to realize like everyone in the room collectively, even before it begins is going, oh my God, like this is his last this is sometimes, I mean, David Ives, I've loved him. I think he's one of the first playwrights I met, like maybe the first one I 
I think I did a piece of his at like Manhattan Class Company in oh, you know yeah. 1922. Yeah. Who even knows? But um, but just to see like that incredible, gorgeous ensemble, literally, by the way, not just in terms of talent, um, on that beautiful set, um, giving us his last message, right? Like Sondheim's last story. Um, that was really thrilling. And how incredible that you got to be the person at the helm of that. Um, I want to sort of know before I let you go, like that's closing soon. Do you have your next thing as a director that you're going to work on? Yeah, I'm going to do a play with Lori, which is, you know, basically if the way to get me to do a play these days is to to, to send me a play or let me read a play or offer me a play with that that has a great role for Lori. I will That's go incredible. Anyway. Yeah. So we're, going to, we're going to Steppenwolf to do a play uh, by Sam Hunter, a uh, brilliant Sam Hunter play uh, uh, in uh, the spring. Yeah. And Feud comes out momentarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like delicious fun. What a cast, what an ensemble. Um, Just a few words about what it is to be in the world of Ryan Murphy. And is there anything of that you will take with you into your work, not with Ryan Murphy? Yeah, I mean, to be in, in that world is, again, like like we've been talking about, coming up is that there is a commitment to the person to, it always feels so creepy to say artist, but I'm going to say artist, right? Mm-hmm. He's committed to the artist. I can bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> to the human. Uh, uh, but, um, and so it, it, it's like, it's like Circle Rep. It's like a repertory company, which is that you, you're in it for the he's in he's playing the long game with you right mm-hmm. and so he's gonna throw you things that you do well that you might not do well that he's never seen you do before i mean the part that i play in feud i kept saying to both ryan and robbie bates our friend who wrote it who wrote all the episodes and they're they're so brilliantly written I kept saying, no, I'm not the guy. This is not me. I'm going to give you a list of people who should play this part. And I would send them like names and photos of really, you know, incredible actors. And I said to Ryan, I don't even look like the guy. He goes, oh, who knows what Jack Dunphy looks like? You know? Like everybody. <laughs> like, I was like, you can Google him. He looks like a tall Irishman. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and, but he, there was something in the part that they, they felt like uh, I brought to it uh, and I didn't see it for a long time. And I, and I really, because I feel responsible because I respect them both so much as artists that I was like, I don't want to fuck this up. Mm-hmm. I don't want you have so many wonderful actors here and so many wonderful actors to choose. But this is not my part. That being said, I'm glad I stuck with it. I'm glad they made me stick with it. And I'm 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 coming out the other end of it. I think, I hope that, you know, we found our way through it, you know, in a in a way that makes sense. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm not gonna watch it, but Well, I I'm I will. I will and I won't say anything. Let me know. know. (laughs) I will and I will tell you you're wonderful. All right, Joe Mantello, before I let you go, is there a little known fact about you that you can share? 
you know, I, I feel like I feel like I've lived, like I said, I've lived in New York since 1984. And so I do feel like a real New Yorker. I feel pretty urban. Um, I grew up in the Midwest, but I, I had such a, a, a an allergic reaction to that for a long time. Um, much less so now. I'm really grateful that I grew up there. But I feel like a pretty urban kind of slightly cynical guy. In the past two years, I've gotten gone so deep into new country music, I can't tell you. And I don't know what it is, Alana. It's like songs about some songs that I have no context for, like uh pickup trucks and whiskey and mamaw's house and uh <laughs> you know, these things and front porches and and kind of Americana and 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 a simpler life. And I think there's a part of me for whatever reason, and it's really super surprising that I've become nostalgic for a life that I never had. You know what I mean? Like that is not, that that is not a part of my history. I have a kind of a the Midwestern version of it, but that's something else entirely. I mean, I listen to country music most of the day. If I'm working, if I'm walking around the house, I go on hikes every day and only listen to country music. And I think the the storytelling, the artistry, the sound, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, it to me, that it's, it's surprising because I'm surprised that I have such a strong reaction to it. Maybe that's why you got on with Dolly Parton so well. Maybe, but this is even post- But this is even different. This is like- because Dolly's like her own thing. She's right? her own magical thing. And I love her music. Yeah. Uh, this is just, this is a kind of a recent thing of like new country. Can like, you name some artists just for listeners who might want to check out what you're listening to? Like Lainey Wilson, Marin Morris. Um, oh God, there's, there's, uh, there's so many, you know, like if you have... Spotify, Pandora. Apple. It'll feed me. It'll you feed me new, everything new, I need. New country. All right. Sit back and sit on a swing at Mamaw's house. I can't wait. I'll see you there. Uh, yeah. Joe Mantello, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This has been like pure joy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Amazing. I have some news. Little Known Facts is now available to watch on YouTube. Hours and hours and hours of interviews that you can see my fabulous guests. And guess what it's called? Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Catchy, right? Anyway, head on over to YouTube and watch the podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you want to donate to the podcast, zero pressure, but if you want to, no donation is too big or too small. I am so grateful for you for listening, but if you want to donate, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com 
forward slash donations. Lastly, Little Known Facts is recorded in Brooklyn, New York, USA. My editor is Nicholas Clark. None of this happens without Nicholas. And the Little Known Facts theme song was composed and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you for listening and have an amazing day.